Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, training camp rolls on, and Matt, I'm happy to report that the dog days are in the rearview mirror. We now get more breaks than we did before. We just finished a little cycle, two days on, and now a day off. It used to be three on, one off, and I think at the start of camp, we were there for five straight days, and then one off, and I believe the one off was Debo Samuel re-signing to his mega deal. Then we had another day off after three or four more practice days, and we went in to interview the assistant coaches, so it was just this nonstop parade of action at the 49ers facility. Now, though, there is this gradual shift to game mode, and the game is on Friday evening, 49ers Packers preseason opener. You can laugh and scoff at the preseason all you want, but uh, you know, unless you've been out there at camp every single day, evaluating the team, uh, you know, seeing that they can't tackle live to the ground, and you know, knowing that somebody like Trey Lance probably needs some actual in-game reps, then uh, I-, I don't think you can scoff too much at the preseason. I think that. Uh, these games are going to be important for the 49ers, not as far as the scoreboard goes, but as far as getting those repetitions in, both for Trey Lance and for the team's uh, running backs who are extra physical this year. And I think with that physicality, you want the chance to evaluate in live tackling situations. Yeah, and as far as this one that's coming up on Friday, um, Kyle Shanahan's already said that he's probably not going to play his starters, certainly not Trey Lance in the second uh, preseason game in Minnesota. Remember, this is a, a stretch where they're going to play three preseason games and two joint practices in a span of 13 days. So he's really got to uh, sort of uh, balance that and um, you know not obviously overuse players. So <laughs> you're really only going to have a chance to watch if you're a fan. Um, you know your, uh, your your Nick Bosa's, your Trent Williams, your Trey Lances in games one and three. So uh, it's a lot less than previous preseasons when there used to be four. Uh, so nothing to scoff at. And, uh, you know, for some of these guys, you know, uh, you know, we, we've been watching Ty Davis Price, for example, the, the third round running back. Uh, and he's looked really good in some of these practices, really violent, 
really powerful runs, but you want to see what he can do in a tackling situation. This will be the first live tackling drill, the first live tackling atmosphere that the 49ers have had since uh, they lost to the, the Rams in the NFC Championship game. So that alone, to me, hearing the crack of the pad, seeing uh, Ty Davis Price, seeing Jordan Mason break some tackles, uh, that that's uh, that's worth it for me to tune in for three hours. That's what I wrote about after the practice on Wednesday because, you know, we, we've seen the pads pop this training camp, I think, just from – my experience, this is my sixth camp covering the team. You've covered it for, for far longer, so I'm sure you've seen your share of physical camps, especially if you go back to the Harbaugh era, map. But as far as a Shanahan camp goes, I, I think this one's been notably physical. Uh, you know, two reasons. One, it, we saw the fight, right? Everybody's going to talk about Fred Warner and, and Brandon Ayuk squaring off twice in that one practice. But just on a down-in, down-out basis with these bigger running backs, you do feel the, the pads popping. I just remember in Wednesday's session, Demetrius Flanagan Fowles was one of the 49ers reserve linebackers. He had two really impressive thuds against Jordan Mason, who's the undrafted free agent running back out of Georgia Tech. And obviously Fred Warner has been thudding people up. That that's the a new terminology that I used that I learned this offseason, by the way. Thud, thud guys up. That's that's what Fred Warner likes to say. And D'Amico Ryan's actually used that term during his press conference on Wednesday. So there's been some thudding up at this 49ers training camp and they're building the callus and now you know you go I wrote on Wednesday you go from thud to hug at these practices because you're not taking guys to the ground right so just kind of wrap them up uh, now we're going to go from from thud to, to body slam on, on Friday because it's going to be a lot of hungry players uh, trying to make a, a crowded roster I think that that's one of the themes here that we need to start talking about over the course of the next few weeks the 49ers have to cut down to uh, 85 next week, then the following week on the 23rd, they have to cut down to 80, and then finally on August 30th, they have to cut down from 80 to 53, and whenever you have a good loaded roster, especially that last cut, that, that one gets really, really painful, and there are a lot of tough decisions to make. Ahead of those decisions, a lot of competition has to happen. Yeah, and one of those spots is running back, and, and you, you mentioned it. Wednesday's practice was a long practice, and there were a lot of running plays. I mean, they're, they're obviously getting ready, gearing up for the preseason, and this is what we're going to see a lot of in the preseason. Uh, there was no Elijah Mitchell in that practice. Uh, I'm not sure whether he was getting a rest day, whether he's a little bit worn down. Uh, remember, he did not practice in the spring. He was coming off a couple of surgeries. So a lot of those guys who didn't didn't practice in the spring get uh, eased in a little bit more in the summer. Uh, they don't play quite as many snaps as everybody else. So that, that could be a reason. We didn't see a lot of Jeff Wilson either. Uh, and I think those guys are pretty comfortably in the first two spots uh, as far as the running back pecking order. But after that, it's, it's, it's up in the air as far as who makes the squad, as far as uh, the actual order in which they come into games. And I thought, to me, my eye, my ear, I thought Trey Sermon had his best practice since he joined the 49ers. I know this sounds like hyperbole, but um, he was prominent. Uh, and not just in running the ball, uh, also, uh, you know, the catch and run stuff. I thought he did a really good job there. Ty Davis Price has been consistently powerful, I would say. Um, I think that Jordan Mason has been consistently consistent. Uh, he's looked good from the, uh, the, the spring on. Doesn't really quite have the, the thud, the power, the sound that uh, Ty Davis Price brings. And then 
Mr. Michael Hasty, everybody forgets about him, but he was their their top choice at third down back last year. Uh, and they really didn't have any other options there. I mean, it was Kyle Juszczyk in the, in the games that Hasty wasn't available. So it'll be interesting to see how that position is handled as well. I don't think Ty Davis-Price is ready for it, certainly. Um, Trey Sermon is, a, is a more of a question mark in my mind, but uh, I've seen good things from in, in a third down uh, capacity from Mitchell and from Wilson. So if one of those two guys can do it, uh, I, I think that uh, Jermichael Hasty might uh, might be in trouble. Well, you know, on the note of Wilson, I think that it's very clear that he's a year further removed from the meniscus tear. I think that he suffered as far as explosiveness went last year. He was still a guy coming off an injury last season, and this year I do think he looks a lot more like his old self. As far as the other guys, Mitchell and Sermon have both talked about the 49ers' challenge to put on more muscle, which they did. And, you know, that really matches the, the added bulk that they have from the new guys, right? From Ty Davis Price, 220 pounds. That's something that the 49ers haven't had since Carlos Hyde. And remember, they didn't extend Carlos Hyde after 2017. It used to not be, you know, a coveted Kyle Shanahan trait size at running back. He, he wanted speed at running back. But now he wants size. Davis Price has it. Jordan Mason at 223 has it. And it, it's interesting because now Jermichael Hasty is, you know, the on the outside looking in, as far as the size equation goes, right? He's he's the smaller back there, but maybe that uh, comparative difference for uh, Jamichael Hasty is what allows him to to crack this roster because maybe the 49ers will want one change of gear running back. Some of the it's a little bit shiftier. On Wednesday, Hasty had a you know nice nice cut and turned into a 60 yard touchdown run. I believe it was against the third team defense, either the second or third team. It wasn't against the starters, so you always take that with a grain of salt. But he does bring a, a certain shiftiness, a certain dimension that the other 49ers backs don't. Um, to me, though, the preseason is just so important to, to evaluate these guys because, yeah, I, I do agree with you that I thought Sermon looked decisive uh, Wednesday's practice. And, you know, I thought that we could continue to see good downhill running from Ty Davis Price. But let's be honest, until these guys actually have to run through, break an actual tackle, you know, not just thudding once they actually have to, like, try to stop somebody from bringing them to the ground. Until we see that, we, we can't give a complete evaluation. And Kyle Shanahan's been very, very clear about that throughout the years. So I'm looking forward to watching these running backs this weekend. How about the receivers, Matt? Uh, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. Obviously, both of those players are stars. Ayuk, I guess you could say, is an emerging star based on the way that he's playing this training camp. It, it's what's beyond that that's really interesting to me. Jawan Jennings, receiver three for the 49ers. Ray Ray McLeod, uh, you, you know, it, Kyle, Kyle said the other day that he was looking at Ray Ray McLeod this offseason as a receiver. He wasn't even looking at the special teams tape and he wanted him. And then they saw the special teams tape and they wanted him twice as much, right? And obviously the rookie, Danny Gray, who's really fast. I mean, between those three players and then toss in, you know, that receiver six spot, I think it's going to go to Malik Turner. Um, there, there's a whole lot to monitor here because it seems to be deeper at that position group than it has been in years prior. Yeah, and, and sometimes those guys, uh, sort of bottom of the roster guys, emerge in the preseason. I remember... Um, uh, Kendrick Bourne uh, a couple of years ago. Bolden uh, had a big preseason. Uh, I think that position, especially with uh, the younger guys, the undrafted guys, it's hard to emerge. Um, you know, A, you're playing with a third-team offense, so not a lot of talent around you. And, and we saw that this week, the, the, the third-team offense is starting to get very, very scant snaps out there. 
um, uh, Lance and, and Sudfeld are getting the lion's share of it. So guys who are usually lining up with those groups uh, don't get a lot of action. Um, I thought that Tay Martin, undrafted guy out of Oklahoma State, um, had his uh, most um, impactful practice of the summer. He had, had a really nice, you were there, uh, in, in one-on-one. Um, he was uh, lined up against uh, Jimmy Ward and looked for all the world as if Ward had just uh, excellent coverage on him. Ward's very good in coverage. Um, you know, obviously has, a, has a, a little bit of a background as a cornerback. And uh, Trey Lance put it in the right spot, and Tay Martin made a really nice over-the-shoulder catch, and uh, it was probably the highlight of that drill. And then uh, Martin came back and caught two passes from Brock Purdy um, in the 11-on-11 stuff. So he started to make a move. It's been quiet for him so far. Uh, And really, uh, after Malik Turner, quiet for for everybody else, too. So to me, the question is, um, you know, do they keep six? And if they did, I think that Turner is that sixth guy. Um, It may be that they keep five. They They were keeping five towards the end of last season, too. Um, and uh, they may decide that they need that extra depth at a different spot, and that spot may be running back just because of uh, how, how quickly uh, and how thoroughly they've uh, burned through that group in the previous uh, five years under Shanahan. I think that they're going to want a gunner, and I think that Malik Turner might, might be that. I, you know, it, It's tough to tell the special team stuff uh, throughout these earlier practices, and training camp uh, I think that sixth receiver spot if they do do end up uh you know taking Turner I think it will be with special teams uh, at, at the top of their minds because you're right Matt that through those first five receivers they've got a diversified skill set for the offensive you know portion of the game that's I think it's a collection that Kyle Shanahan hasn't had yet because he's wanted that deep threat right he tried to Skimp on it with Travis Benjamin last year. Uh, that obviously didn't work out. He had one catch throughout the regular season and the playoffs. They played a franchise record 20 games last year, and, and their deep threat had one catch. That, that was Travis Benjamin. So that, that limited the offense. Danny Gray definitely, I don't think, limits the offense. I, this guy can fly. I've been super impressed with his releases. Shanahan has now moved on to, you know, coaching him very, very closely and critically. I mean, he always picks one of those talented rookies, right? It was, uh, or talented youngsters, I guess I should say, because Ayuk wasn't a rookie last year. But now Danny Gray is getting that attention. And I think, you know, as this season evolves, Danny Gray is going to turn into a weapon for the 49ers. And Ray-Ray McLeod, you know, you'd call him a gadget weapon. I think somebody called him a gadget weapon on the 49ers the other day, but I do not mean that pejoratively. Uh, I, I think that Kyle could be really creative with a with a shifty, talented target like Ray-Ray McLeod. Why don't we move on to tight ends? This is fun. Just kind of going through the roster here for the 49ers. Tight end position is, is interesting because... Uh, you have George Kittle, and then it, it's just tough to gauge because n- number two last year, Charlie Werner hasn't practiced yet. He had core muscle surgery. We see him walking around on the field. It doesn't appear that he's too far away from being back, and the 49ers initially said he'd be back during camp. But it might take you know Werner a while to, to get back into the swing of things. So that leaves Ross Dwelly, the, the trusted agent who's been around for several years now, and, and Tyler Croft, a veteran who caught another touchdown on Wednesday – uh, who, you know, outside of Kittle, I think is the 49ers' best blocker, Matt, at that tight end position. So to me, it's a question of do they take three or four? 
And, um, you know, a lot of that might be answered by whether or not Charlie Werner is healthy by the time this roster cutdown happens. Yeah, uh, when we get to mid-August, and and we're almost in mid-August, and the guy isn't practicing yet, it makes me wonder whether he's going to be ready for uh, week one. And uh, if, if the answer is no with Warner, then maybe he's a pup guy. Um, you've noted this a couple of times that uh, pup isn't quite as uh, severe as it's been uh, in years past. You don't have to spend uh, quite as long on it before rejoining the team. So that, that could be an option. Uh, and I agree with you. I mean, it, to me, it's. Uh, I was talking to Brian Flurry, the new tight ends coach, the other day, and he basically came out and said, you know, we uh, basically um, set up our tight end room um, around George Kittle. How can we best complement George Kittle? And um, he said, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to do it. You complement him with a, a really good pass catcher, uh, in which case um, probably Tanner Hudson is uh, is the best of that group. Or, or do you do it with uh, a really good blocker, uh, of which uh, Croft is the best? And I, I think it's the latter. Because uh, you want to free George Kittle up um, so that he can go out on, on, on pass routes uh, more often. And uh, I think it would also kind of minimize or, or cut down the wear and tear that he takes. So if you've got a guy that you trust as a blocker, and George Kittle is a fantastic blocker. That's, that's sort of the dilemma that they're in all the time. Is that you have this one tight end who's, who's really good at everything. Uh, and uh, this is a team that loves to run the ball. So... Uh, Kittle's going to be used as a blocker. I just think having Croft uh, in that group uh, allows um, you know Kittle to do X percent less than he's done in previous years, and that may mean um, X uh, percent more snaps for him over the course of the season. He's been injured a couple of times the last two years. All right, so tight ends are, I think, inextricably linked with offensive linemen. I mean, they're really the hybrid between the offensive linemen and the wide receivers, right? Because they have to do both jobs. In fact, I I think the 49ers would actually like tight ends to do a little less of the O-linemen's duties in as far as pass protection goes in 2022 but that's been really a theme here of the past few seasons it's limited the 49ers offense a bit through injuries at tackle and just you know some rough play namely at the rough t- at the right tackle position and last year it was when Tom Compton came in he was a great run blocker but uh, he struggled in pass protection the 49ers actually had to keep George Kittle back to, to help out at that a tackle essentially to help out as an aux tackle uh, right next to, to Tom Compton and I think you'd rather have George Kittle and the tight ends especially in you know third down situations be out there running pass patterns and you know the, the way that you unleash that is if you get solid pass protection from your starting five offensive linemen so as it stands right now Matt it looks like the starting five are Trent Williams left tackle Aaron Banks left guard center pro- maybe still a toss up between Jake Brendel and Daniel Brunskill I'm not ready to call that one yet right guard uh, Spencer Burford 12 practices 12 practices full of Spencer Burford first team snaps at right guard and right tackle Mike McGlinchey is working his way back in looks like he's at a good weight to perform not too light like he was in 2020 looks about the same weight as he was last year when the pass protection was a little bit better that's your starting five uh you know for me the, the key is the two guard spots because if you know if one of them falters if Banks is terrible at left guard that blows the whole thing up or Burford can't get the job done at right guard 
you know, maybe the 49ers might be able to plug a hole there by by sliding Brunskill into right guard. But I think the grand plan, Matt, is what they've wanted to do for a couple of years but haven't had the luxury of doing. I think it's for Burford to lock down right guard, Banks to lock down left guard, Brendel to lock down center, and then Daniel Brunskill is back to the roving sixth man role where he excelled in 2019. And all of a sudden, you have a competent offensive line if you could do those three things. Yeah, I, and I think that's what the 49ers are, are leaning toward. I mean, uh, somebody asked about uh, Brunskill the other day, and, and Shanahan said, you know, we, we know what he can do at right guard. We, we, we've seen him play that position the last uh, couple of seasons. And then he said something sort of odd. He said, you know, it's almost like the, the less he does at right guard, the better. Uh, because if he's at right guard a lot, then he's going to get worn down, um, and uh, you know they're they're in, in a good spot with him right now, where he's sort of alternating um, series with Jake Brendel at center. Uh, remember, Brunskill was dealing with knee tendonitis in in the off season, so I think they're a little bit leery of that. And, and the fact of the matter is that um, uh, uh, Spencer Burford is more physically gifted than uh, Daniel Brunskill is. He's a bigger guy. He, he, he moves better. There's more heft there. Uh, I watched uh, Burford throughout Wednesday's practice. Remember, this was a run-heavy practice. He was doing a good job. He was getting out on those uh, on those zone-blocking runs, um, has good movement. I, I think that they have to be very um, pleased, uh, I'll put it that way, um, uh, with the progress that he's made. As you noted, every snap so far at right guard has been taken by him with the, with the first team. Um, to me, you know, a, a big question is, okay, who's the the backup tackle on this team? Um, I think Jalen Moore went into camp probably in the lead there, but he's been hurt, and he's probably not going to play in this game on Friday. Uh, and so it's going to be uh, Colton McKivitz and Justin School, and then they, they signed this new guy, Jalen Mills, um, I think he's 31 years old or close to it. He's been in the league a while. I remember when he came in. And um, to me, he looks right off the bat like the uh, like the third best tackle on this team right now. Uh, he's got really good size. Uh, he obviously has experience. He's physical uh, and just uh, moves a little bit better than those other guys. And, and frankly, they've been uh, problematic in pass protection. It's one of the reasons why... Uh, Trey Lance was struggling so much to begin camp because uh, McGlinchey and uh, Trent Williams weren't, weren't part of the practices early on. These, uh, these backups had to step in. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You learn a lot when you start talking to the coaches about just how much it takes to get through a training camp. I mean, I'm not complaining about standing out there, but I'm just saying it's, it's 
tiring to go out there every single day and you know you're it's it's in the sunshine uh there's there's a lot of activity going around you're trying to track everything well just imagine trying to be out there every single day but also you know weigh 300 pounds and and have to hit guys and have to absorb hits from guys right offensive linemen have to do that against a really good 49ers defensive line a really good pass rush so it's not easy for uh, these 49ers offensive linemen and when you know players like Jalen Moore and Colton McKivitz have to fill in at those tackle positions it's really hard to expect them to also be able to plug in at the guard spots uh, you know because it's that's just a whole lot on their plate so the 49ers have had to manage their way through this training camp and maybe that's made it a little bit more difficult to you know uh, really appraise where they might be at some of those depth spots and the depth spots are going to be important again the season is a marathon and it's not a sprint so it's going to be interesting to see how the 49ers progress along the offensive line beyond spots one through five moving forward because that's going to be really important all right let's move to the defensive side of the ball I just talked about the d-line Matt I talked to Charles Amenahu on Wednesday after practice and Oh boy, he he was a great interview. Uh, he we we delved into so much, you know, technique wise, how Chris Kasarik is just different than the previous coaching staff that he dealt with in in Houston, and how uh, you know the 49ers and Kasarik have developed a reputation of finding these reclamation projects along the defensive line and just yielding tremendous production out of them, right? Last year, it was Arden Key. Two years ago, it was Kerry Hyder. Now, Kerry Hyder's actually back for more. He's on the roster for 2022. And is the next name that a lot of people are looking at and circling on their roster saying, this guy's going to be a six or seven sack guy. And the reality is, when you look at this depth chart, the D-line has like seven or eight players who you could, I think, realistically project to have seven or eight sacks. Like, they're not all going to have that much because the rotations aren't going to work that way. But as far as capability goes, it, it they're just so loaded, Matt, in this room. And I think that, you know, the goal that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan set out to accomplish back in 2017 when they took over this team and the goal was to root it in the defensive line, that's completely come to fruition now. And to me, it's very clearly the engine of this football team. Yeah, this is a team that usually keeps 10 defensive linemen, which is a, a big number. Um, bigger than most teams on the uh, on the 53-man roster. Right now they've got 14, 15 guys with a legitimate that uh, that ought to be um, you know playing regularly on an NFL team. So um, I don't know how they're going to handle it. Um, I, I do like Amenahue. He gives you so much bang for your buck in that he can play um, inside. He can play outside. Uh, he, he's a lot like Eric Armstead, I think. Uh, he'd be a really good base defensive end, uh, run stopper. He's got real heft to him. And then um, he comes inside. He's got that length. He's got that quickness. He's got long arms. Um, I, I'd love to see kind of a pairing in there where it's him and Armstead on uh, on third downs. Uh, the, the end position to me is really intriguing. Obviously, Nick Bosa is he's probably going to play mostly left defensive end this year. That's what he played basically from... Uh, week eight onward, um, the vast majority of his snaps were at left defensive end, which, of course, pits him against the, the opposing team's right uh, offensive tackle. And then on the other side, it's going to be uh, Ebicom likely starting, or certainly Ebicom in the uh, in the pass rush packages. Uh, but you've also got Drake Jackson. You've also got Kamoko Ture, who's looked fantastic. You've also got Jordan Willis, 
who's kind of perfectly built for this team. You've also got Kerry Hyder, uh, who's another inside-outside guy. Um, it's it's a long list of, of, of guys there, and uh, you know they, they've been mixing and matching them, seeing who plays better inside, who plays better outside, who gives you that versatility. Um, and I just wonder whether that's going to be sort of uh, their guide for who makes this club in the end? Uh, you know, if it's between a guy who's really good at defensive end and a guy who's really good at defensive end but also can play inside, uh, I think you go with uh, the second guy. Yeah. No, I mean, the decisions uh, are ones that you want to have, but they do make the back half of August extra uncomfortable. But again, it, we're already starting to see some injuries pile up. We're going to talk more about this when we get to the cornerbacks. But, the, you know, along that defensive line, Hurst, Maurice Hurst, he's already done for the year, tore his biceps muscle. Uh, and then you have Eric Armstead and Hassan Ridgeway, who have been out with more minor injuries. So we haven't even seen them as part of the rotation. Uh, I, I say that to illustrate that it's only August 10th. And, you know, football's a violent sport. This is not anybody's fault. You know, everybody likes to go and start blaming the training staff. But no, I mean, every single team is dealing with injuries. And one of the reasons why the 49ers like to load up the defensive line and every single position group as much as possible, but the D-line especially, is so they can absorb some of these injuries, which are completely inevitable. So right now, in that room, two of those guys aren't practicing. Well, other guys have a chance to compete. But by the time that August 30th hits, that injury situation may look a whole lot different. And, you know, our discussions of 10 or 11 or whatever may seem silly by then because uh, a lot of the times it it does just work itself out based on who's healthy, who you need to stash on IR, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, we'll see what happens come August 30th, but that battle will continue along the defensive line as we move forward to our anal- uh, or to our analysis of the linebacker position. Now, linebacker, you know, let's just zoom out really briefly, Matt. Defense, I have to ask you your opinion. Do you think that this 49ers defense can be better than the 2019 unit? Because I personally think there's a chance. I think that the linebackers are more mature than they were in 2019, and the secondary is better. And I also think the D-line's deeper. You know, it's not going to be easy to be better than 2019, but I don't think that was a perfect defense by any stretch of the imagination. I thought it had holes in the secondary and holes in defensive line depth. But one place where this 2022 version that's going to try to challenge that 2019 version doesn't seem to have any holes is linebacker. And I think, you know, it's a linebacker-oriented defense just as much as it is a D-line-oriented defense. So maybe we should say it's a front seven-oriented defense because the coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, is an ex-linebacker. The linebacker's coach used to be D'Amico Ryans' position coach and Johnny Holland. And between Fred Warner... Dre Greenlaw and Aziz Alshire, you've got three studs there. I'm really bullish on this position group, and I'm wondering if you think that they can help spearhead this defense to be the best of the Shanahan era. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, early on in 2019, that was a really, really good starting four on the defensive line. Bosa, Armstead, Buckner, and D. Ford. D. Ford got hurt early on, though, and really D. Ford wasn't the same guy throughout the second half of the season and in the playoffs. So I think Bosa's, it's hard to say this because he came into the league so ready to play, but he's better going into the season than he was going in as a rookie. And uh, I think Armstead's in the right spot, and it's going to be one wave after the other on that other side from Bosa. Ebicom's better than he was uh, at this point last year. One of those other guys is going to emerge, whether it's Ture 
or Drake Jackson. <laughs> That's Chris Kacirik's dream. It's to send wave after wave after wave of talented, relentless pass rushers at uh, opposing quarterbacks. He's got the men to do it this year. So yeah, I, I definitely think so. And to me, the, the linebacker group is, is pretty apparent, one through four. This is a team that keeps five, usually. Uh, so it goes Warner, Greenlaw, Al Shire, uh, and then Oren Burks is, is number four. And the question is, who's number five? Um, you mentioned Demetrius Flanagan Fowles uh, thudding up guys in, in the Wednesday practice. Um, he was five last year. Um, I think he's vulnerable, though. He's been in and out of practices. He's not the ideal sized guy. Uh, he is very smart, and he's good on special teams. And that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, but uh, there's some good-looking rookies on this team. Um, I think that Curtis Robinson has had a nice uh, camp to this point. Um, uh, it, it, and it may be that uh, they keep uh, most of the, those guys I mentioned, one of them on the active roster and the rest on the practice squad. Well, the linebacker plan, to me, we're looking at a you know short uh, dual track kind of thing, right? Same thing they did with the quarterback last year. And, you know, the 49ers, I think, have done a good job playing the short term and the long term. But at linebacker especially, we see that they have their guys for 2022, barring injury. Those are going to be their guys throughout the entire season, right? And Warner, Greenlaw, Alshire, and Burks. And then obviously that fifth linebacker, that would probably be a more special teams-oriented role. But the room is rounded out by these undrafted free agents who they really think need the development time. But given the development time, uh, can can really turn into the you know the the torchbearers moving forward, especially with Greenlaw and Al Shire only under contract for this 2022 season. You know another name, and we saw Marcelino McCrary Ball make plays over the past few days. Uh, he had the interception against Nate Sudfeld on I believe Sunday. Saguno Luby, uh, he made a nice run stop at Wednesday's practice, just yeah. flying to the sideline. I, I, I could tell you 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 know the play I'm talking about, Matt. That four four speed was coming right at us, and we know that they like fast linebackers, right? So I could see him. I, I think he's starting to shine a bit. I think he's starting to figure out how to combine that speed with thudding people up. You know, I guess that could be the theme of this show, thudding people up. And and I think that Saguno Luby is learning how to do that. Yeah, he's got speed. Uh, Marcelino McCrary Ball has speed. Um, you know, they're both a little bit undersized. I mean, every linebacker, I guess, in the league is nowadays. Uh, they're both around that, you know, six one, six feet, um, you know, around 220, I'd say. And they both fly. Uh, I want to say that McCrary Ball's 40 was something like 4-5-1. Outstanding for a linebacker. Well, um, uh, Alubi's was was even better. It was in the 4-4 range. Uh, so, you know, you're talking about coverage. You're talking about sideline to sideline. You're talking about special teams. Uh, these guys are ideally made for all that. I mean, uh, reminds me of, uh, of Dre Greenlaw. Just getting to the sideline very quickly. Um, that's that's the that's a big deal for this team. You'd be able to cover um, the, the entire flat basically from uh, you know your hash mark until the sideline. That's a lot of area, and you have to have wheels to do it. And both of those, those guys have that. Uh, they played well. I mean, I, I think if you had to sort of uh, gauge it so far, I'd put McCrary Ball, uh, Alubi, and then Jeremiah Gemmel who missed uh, all of the uh, spring because he was coming off of a, uh, an injury suffered in college. Uh, and, uh, but he's played throughout the summer, and he started to kind of 
get up to speed as well. And, and he's more of the middle linebacker of that group. And the other guys are the uh, Aziz and the, and the Dre Greenlaw of that group. But it's kind of fun to watch them. They're usually with the, uh, the third-team defense. Um, you'll probably see them in the second half against the Packers. But it's sort of the, uh, the rookie version of... Of the uh, of the trio that uh, 49ers fans got familiar with last year. Yeah, they called Gemmel the general at North Carolina. So definitely the the middle linebacker there on my depth chart that I keep online. I have Gemmel in there as that middle linebacker. Other two guys, more of your you know your sideline to sideline linebackers, all stack linebackers, of course. But uh, you know, the, the the general uh, that's Fred Warner for the first unit, and I think Jeremiah Gemmel could be that guy in the future for the 49ers because you know football moves quickly you gotta always have contingency plans and the 49ers have definitely tried to stock up that linebacker position because it is the glue of their defense right we talk about the debate uh, rush over coverage or coverage over rush well guess who does both the linebackers right they do both plus they have to have all the run fits that that really brings together both aspects of the defense which makes it so important um, and w- we do talk about the fact that it is a linebacker-oriented defense with the coordinator himself being a former all-pro linebacker in D'Amico Ryans. All right, on to the secondary to round this out. Uh, the 49ers are dealing with a couple injuries. They, they seem minor. Charvarius Ward's a muscle strain. Emmanuel Mosley's is too. We don't know where exactly Ward's strain is, but Mosley's is a hamstring. Mosley should be back next week at practice, so maybe in time for Minnesota. Ward is going to be out for a couple weeks, so uh, nothing to worry about if you know, unless both start missing regular season time. But it's 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 August tenth, August eleventh, right now, right? We're about exactly a week away from the uh, a month away from the start of the regular season. That's on September eleventh at Chicago. So based on the timelines that we have, both Ward and Mosley should be back week one. That means that in the interim, while the 49ers wait wait for, by week one, I should say. So while the 49ers wait for Ward and Mosley to return, they could really audition some of the younger cornerbacks. In Tuesday's practice, we saw Ambry Thomas and Diameter Lenore take the initial first team snaps. Then Kadar Hallman stepped in there for Lenore on Wednesday at the start of the session. I noticed Darquez Denard took a couple snaps at outside cornerback. On uh, Wednesday, he's obviously the 49ers nickel. Uh, That was interesting because Samuel Womack, who's the fifth-round pick, who's the nickel of the future for the 49ers, did have the opportunity to play some more with the first team on Wednesday. So, I mean, there's still a lot of moving pieces here, Matt. Still some intriguing talent. A guy like Kadar Hallman, for example, he can really move. He's a 4-4-40 guy out of Toledo with Samuel Womack's teammate. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what these guys can do. I think Tariq Castro-Fields is still a little further behind. I think he's you know, definitely a developmental prospect for the practice squad. They picked him late in the sixth round this past year, and they brought in another body, but he, he's a veteran, and Ken Crawley to uh, you know, help them with cornerback depth on Wednesday. And who knows? Maybe Crawley will impress them here over the course of the next week and, and earn himself a shot to make that rotation. Uh, the bottom line is that cornerback is now much deeper than it was before. So even with the injuries to the top three guys, Ward, Mosley, and Jason Verrett still rehabbing from the ACL, um, it's it's still you know fun to watch this unit. Uh, they definitely don't want to go to battle with them in week one. You want to have Ward, Mosley, and Verrett potentially back. But for the time being, uh, it will give us a chance to evaluate Thomas, Lenore, Hallman, and those types of guys. Yeah, I thought Lenore has, has had a couple of really nice practices recently. 
Um, he's probably the most physical of that group, and uh, that, that's always a, a, a big deal, especially uh, on this D'Amico Ryan's coached defense. I mean, he wants them to be more physical. He wants them to play more press coverage. Um, you know, it's not there for him yet, D'Amador Lenore, but um, he's got the, the skills uh, to, to do that uh, in, in the future. Um, I thought that Womack looked really good, you know, running with the, the ones on, on Wednesday at the, at the nickel spot. Um, you know, he, he reminds me a lot of K1. He's got longer arms. He's a little bit beefier than K1 Williams. Hopefully that will allow him to sort of uh, withstand some of the injuries that knocked Williams out of the lineup here and there. Williams was their, their smallest guy, smallest guy on the team. Uh, and that's a, that's a meat grinder position. That's, that's sort of a quasi linebacker cornerback spot. You have, to, you have to know how to tackle. You have to be gritty. And uh, Williams was definitely that. Um, it's just that he got nicked up quite a bit. But um, Womack seems to be cut from the same cloth. Uh, I thought he was, was really good. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess ideally you'll have uh, Charvarius Ward and Mosley in that uh, starting secondary working throughout the whole offseason. But, you know, to, to me it's not such an awful thing when a star player like an Eric Armstead, like a Charvarius Ward gets a minor injury in the summer because it sort of saves them from uh, the risk of getting a major injury in the summer. I call it the uh, the Han Solo treatment where you, you freeze the guy in carbonite on <laughs> August 1 and then unfreeze him on August 30 and uh, he's ready to go. I mean, uh, I, I'm always worried for these guys. Um, you know, they work so hard in the offseason. Uh, expectations are so high. And then uh, we saw it with Sean Coleman, for example, a couple of seasons ago. You know, if somebody falls into the side of your leg and you break your ankle, you're done. That's it. That Your season's over. Uh, so, I mean, random stuff like happen, like that happens all the time. It's football, 22 huge, fast-moving bodies on a, on a field. So um, I don't think it's, uh, it's terrible that uh, Charvarius Ward is, is going to miss this upcoming game, probably the next game. And we'll see about the Texans finale on the 25th. Well, I mean, speaking of Ward, he was so good the first part of training camp. And listen, he was really good with the Chiefs last year. I mean, he he was a top-tier cornerback for the Chiefs last year. I think that the 49ers, I know, the, I know the 49ers think this, and I think they might be right, that they got him at an excellent bargain rate for the for the quality of coverage that they can expect from him during the season. They got him for $13.5 million per year. And he's up there in all the advanced metrics with the top cornerbacks in the game, top five cornerbacks. You look at the next-gen stats stuff. Just put on the tape. He was sticky last year. He, he had some really, really good outings. There's corners now, Matt, that are making over $20 million a year. So the 49ers are paying Charvarius Ward two-thirds of that type of money, and they think he's still ascending, and they think he could be a top-five guy for them. And you know what can turn a quarter, cornerback from a top-15 guy into a top-five guy? Playing behind the best pass rush in football. Right. So I think that, you know, bubble wrap Ward right now, because we've already seen enough from him to, to impress us during this preseason. I think the 49ers can say the same. Uh, he, he shows up week one healthy, you know, gets over this muscle strain, gets the play behind a pass rush featuring Nick Bosa and company. If he looked that good in Kansas City last year, I think we could see something special from Charvarius Ward this season. All right. Our last little position group, the safeties. 
Um, you know, obviously special teams, the specialist Pepper, Gold, Wisnowski, there's no debate there. But the safeties, uh, there is a little bit of debate. Obviously, Jimmy Ward is a fixture at the free safety spot. But opposite him, we've seen both Talano Hufanga and Tarverius Moore see time with the first team. And, um, you know, to that I say it's not about Talano Hufanga or Tarverius Moore. I think, Matt, it's going to be Talano Hufanga and Tarverius Moore because here's one thing the 49ers are going to miss with Kwan Williams is that blitzing ability, the shark, right? He was so slippery, so slippery, so good hitting the backfield on those nickelback blitzes. I think Darquez Denard might be better in coverage than than Kwan Williams was, especially toward the end there. I think he, you know Kwan had had lost a step in coverage, but I don't think Darquez Denard's as good of a blitzer as, as Kwan Williams was. So I think that the 49ers and D'Amico Ryan's who loves those occasional blitzes at just the right juncture, he's gonna fa- have to find a DB who can who's just good and instinctual near the line of scrimmage. I think that's gonna be Talano Hufanga's job. I think he's gonna play closer to the line of scrimmage. I think we're gonna see a lot of three safety from the 49ers, and I think especially. Especially as the season progresses and more gets further and further from that Achilles tear, Tarverius Moore is going to be that, you know, a back-end turf-eating safety. I think you're going to see a lot of Ward, Moore, and Hufanga, with Hufanga doing a lot of the shark stuff that Kwan Williams used to do. And I don't think the 49ers are quite showing that yet in training camp because uh, they don't want to put it on tape. So, you know, maybe opposing coaches are listening right now uh, and, and scrambling to find ways to block that because I think it's going to be a good formula for the 49ers. Oh, that would certainly be playing to those two players' strengths because uh, Hufanga is very good around... The line of scrimmage, in fact, yeah, you, you, you sometimes think that he's a linebacker uh, down there. And uh, Moore has, uh, you know, uh, maybe he's the second fastest guy on the team after Danny Gray. Um, you know, and, and we saw Moore doing uh, quite a bit of, uh, you know, dime uh, package stuff in, in 2019. Uh, even in the Super Bowl, he got in uh, Uh, a few plays there. So it's something that the 49ers have looked at in the past and and looked at with Tarverius Moore. And um, yeah, having that uh, that ability to to go deep down the field would be great. You know, my question with Moore, though, is, you know, even if he's sort of a a back-end safety, you need to be able to make uh, tackles. You're the last line of defense, literally, uh, when you do that. And that was his shortcoming. He's not really instinctual when it comes to angles and kind of getting guys down and that was something that uh jimmy ward is very good at something that um we saw uh Joukowsky tart do saved a, a touchdown uh in that uh game against the packers in the playoffs where the packers running back just got behind the defense and then tart came from the other side of the field and, and took him out so um yeah uh, that'll be uh that'll be interesting i like uh hufanga in that role better than uh, Moore. I just think he's more of the instinctive player. Um, and, um, yeah, I think they're kind of testing out. Uh, you know, can we rely on Hufanga back there? He's not a fast guy. Is that going to be a liability to us? I think he's going to play a lot in the preseason. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think the 49ers kind of hope that he gets uh, tested by some of these teams. It's not going to be Aaron Rodgers on Friday. It'll be Jordan Love. But Jordan loves a, uh, a first-round pick, so he ought to be able to kind of uh, put it down the field and uh, give this secondary a little bit of a workout. Well, Hufanga gave Trey Lance a workout on Wednesday. He, he was actually playing a deeper safety position. Lance tried to go to Ayuk on a crosser, and Hufanga 
definitely pre-read that play. He saw Lance's eyes. He oh, knew where that ball the, was in going. The, in the uh, Tuesday practice, right? The one on the sideline that he almost picked off? Well, there was that, but the, there was one on Wednesday. There was one on Wednesday that was over the middle of the field, and Hufanga just came from center field and bolted in and almost picked it off and knocked oh, it there away. There you go. We're, there you yeah, go. Yeah, we're talking about two two times Hufanga's instincts have uh, have beaten Trey Lance. And earlier in the training camp, there's a pick six. And, you know, we didn't talk about the quarterbacks, and we should probably wrap up on that because everybody wants to hear about Trey Lance right now. Uh, yes, uh, there are plays where he's getting outfoxed by Talano Hufanga, where he's getting outfoxed by the 49ers defense, where he's outfoxing himself uh, with, with poor throwing mechanics, and, and he's inaccurate. But then there are plays and entire practices, as we saw on Tuesday, where – Lance is is just spectacular. 65-yard touchdown run, I think untouched, very close to being untouched. Um, you know, he's got he's got a second gear that most quarterbacks don't have and uh, you know, even on Wednesday's practice, which was a 10 of 20 practice, it wasn't great, it wasn't terrible. He still made an awesome throw there at the end to Brandon Ayuk on the deep out. Uh, uh to me, Matt Trey Lance, you just got to live to, you have to learn to live with volatility if you're following the 49ers because there is volatility right now. And the goal of the season should be to reduce the amount of volatility that, that we are seeing with Trey Lance. Yeah, that deep out to Ayuk might be his best pass of training camp. That was a really nice pass. And th- those types of throws have been his kryptonite to this point. Anything that's heading towards the sideline, the crossers to the sideline, boy, he's just been either high or, or too out. Uh, outside, you know, out of bounds on those throws, uh, really has not gotten a nice feel for that throw in particular. Um, but um, like you said, on, on Wednesday, that, that seemed to be coming together. There were some nice touch passes from him, and that's what I think the 49ers want to see a little bit more. He's really good with the, the deep stuff. Uh, he's starting to get a lot better with, uh, you know, the, the deep crosses in the middle of the field. That was, that was the Jimmy Garoppolo bread and butter. Uh, he, he was almost automatic on those throws. He was terrific on, on those throws. And if uh, Lance can get close to that mark over his career, um, in addition to all the other things that he can do that Garoppolo can't, the deep stuff, the outside the numbers stuff, the running, um, then I think he's going to have a very, very nice career and a very, very nice pairing with uh, Kyle Shanahan. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, reaching for the panic button yet. Um, I, I think that he has found his feet in these last four or five practices. And uh, yeah, there was a really ugly one on Sunday. That was the the four of 12-er. <laughs> that, and Shanahan did not mince words about that, that being a, what he called an, uh, a rough practice with uh uh, kind of a, a dumb decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, said a dumb throw. throw. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he went into that. He, uh, Shanahan said um, he doesn't, usually sometimes doesn't mind training camp interceptions because it gives the head coach, him, an opportunity to kind of look through it with the quarterback and say, okay, yeah, I know what you were doing there. Um, yeah, I, I like that you ripped it. Maybe the throw was a little bit off or, um, yeah, what you have to think about is this defender here and it's a, it's a learning experience. It's something that the, the quarterback uh, can learn from. <laughs> he said the throw that, that Warner picked up <laughs> was just dumb. He didn't know what he was doing, uh, what, what Lance was doing, and, and Lance admitted to it. It was just a, a really, really dumb decision. Uh, so maybe there's a, a, a bit of a learning uh, opportunity there. But um, like I said, uh, Shanahan was quite blunt 
his critique of uh, of that throw in particular. Well, I'll I'll leave us with this stat right here, and people could chew on this before our next podcast episode uh, next week. Josh Allen's first year completion percentage with the Buffalo Bills was fifty two point eight percent. Trey Lance's completion percentage through twelve practices at Forty Niners training camp is fifty two point seven percent. So uh, take that for what it's worth, you know, but I do think that based on what I've seen from Trey Lance, he's not going to be a high completion percentage guy, at least early on here in the 2022 season. And I think that a very fair comp is somebody like Josh Allen, a really physical big quarterback who's, who was raw coming out of uh, coming out of college. Trey Lance is even more raw than, than Josh Allen was. And the fact that their completion percentages uh, are, are essentially identical right now <laughs> through this journey of their first season starting. Allen was a rookie back in 2018. I don't think is a coincidence, and I think that's going to be something that the 49ers have to work on over time. By the way, Allen got up to near 70% in his third season. So um, just because you started a certain completion percentage absolutely does not mean that you stay there. Guys like Peyton Manning, uh, and Steve Young. Steve Young started in the low 50s in his career. Peyton Manning, I believe, was at 56 or 57 his rookie year, ended up being one of the more accurate passers ever, right? So um, it's this is going to be a long, long prog- process with Trey Lance. And uh, 49ers fans should take solace in the fact that he's already delivered many spectacular plays. It's just a matter of making them more consistent moving forward. All right, that was nice. We got to go through every single position group. So hopefully all of you can continue to tune in throughout the rest of the season. Matt, uh, anything else to say before we get this ride started with preseason game number one? No, just that the fullbacks are pissed right now that we didn't go oh, through the fullback group. that hurts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Both um, of them. Sorry. Both of them are, so, yeah, both of them are I, stupid. I like both of those guys too. So just in case they're listening, Kyle Yuschek and, and Josh Hokett. Uh, Hokett's from, you know, Yuschek, he, I, Ivy League dude. So you got to shout out to him. Uh, from Harvard, right? Did you know he went to Harvard? That's always what the announcer on a national broadcast says about anybody who went to Harvard. They have to let us know like five times over the course of the game. So yes, Yuschek did go to Harvard. But did you know that Josh Hokett went to Fresno State, which some consider to be the Harvard of the of the West. So um uh, they, they got quite the combination there for Josh Hokett and Kyle Juszczyk. Shout out to them. We believe in fullbacks, too. We have several Fresno State guys in, in Friday's game. You got Hokett, you got Keyshawn Johnson, and you got uh, Kevin Atkins, uh, defensive tackle. So uh, We don't have Devontae State... Adams anymore, though. No, Devontae Adams. Uh, all, all the Bulldogs fans will have uh, some guys to watch throughout the game. Yep. Well, good stuff. All right, Matt. Thanks again. Uh, that was a good, good, good show. We went through everything. That's exhausting with that big roster, but the 49ers certainly have an intriguing one this year. This has been the Here's the Catch podcast. We'll catch you all in a few days after the 49ers get this preseason game against the Packers in the books. Talk to you all soon.